Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Authenticity trust, inclusion, three of the most important traits and actions you as a leader can develop and demonstrate. In an episode that I feel is a long time coming, I'm going to share how you can bring each of these into your day to day to help your teams do amazing work. And I get to do this by sharing the first episode of the first season of Strange New Worlds Strange New Worlds. We are back to classic gallivanting around the galaxy type of Star Trek. Space. The final frontier. Or are we? Actually, we're in Bear Creek, Montana. It's snowy, there are big old windmills and a gorgeous cabin. We meet Captain Christopher Pike as he's whipping up an incredible looking breakfast. Best part of waking up is folders in your cup. Remember this moment when we get deeper into the series. He's not what you'd expect in the lead captain of a new Star Trek show. He's scruffy, he's got unkempt hair and a big old burly beard. He's entertaining a friend, what is pretty clear to be a romantic interest. More coffee, Captain Batum. Don't mind if I do, Captain Pike. As they enjoy breakfast, his communicator keeps beeping, but he's ignoring it. Battelle is trying to get him to answer one simple question. Will he or won't he report to the Enterprise? He dodges the question, which appears to be kind of par for the course. Okay, some backstory here. In the second season of Discovery, Pike came on board as temporary captain of that ship. In that season, we got to know him as well as his first officer from the Enterprise, number one, or Una, and a young Lieutenant Spock, Michael Burnham's stepbrother. Lots of stuff happened in that season that ultimately leads to this exact episode, which we'll get to in a bit. But in that season, Pike had an encounter with a time crystal where he saw his own demise. So now... He lives every day in an existential crisis where he knows how he'll die 
and when he'll die. And he's having a really, really tough time dealing with that. Thus, we get pancakes and coffee in Bear Creek, Montana. All right, back to it. Pike is riding his horse through the snow of Bear Creek. It's a very, very William Shatner thing to do. A Starfleet shuttle chases him down, and Admiral April gives it to him pretty straight. He's been trying to reach him because his first officer, Una, was given an assignment, and it did not go well. First contact is just a dream. Until one day, it isn't. He tells Pike it's time to put up or shut up. Enterprise leaves space dock at 1,800 hours, and he says, You can quit when you get home, but right now, I need you back on that horse, Captain. That's a order. So Pike is putting his crew together. Many of them are out on assignment or shore leave while the Enterprise is docked. He calls Spock, who's spending some time with his fiance, to Pring. Spock, are you naked? No, Captain. No, Chris, he's not. He was about to be. And despite being a special night, he agrees to report to the ship. We get the requisite Star Trek flyover of the strange new world's design of the Enterprise. It looks great. It's not not quite what it was, or, or I guess will be. I don't know, but it's a cool design on it. Pike is cleaned up as well. He's clean-shaven and has incredible hair. We meet some of the crew. Lieutenant La'an Nunian Singh. Lieutenant Ortegas at the helm. Cadet Uhura. And a hint of two to come. A chief engineer and... And Lieutenant Kirk, whom I know you requested. Huh. We are in the first episode. And we're already going to bring in Kirk? Yeah, I don't know. Well, regardless of what I think, they're off. They're headed to Una's ship's last known location, Kylie 279. On route, Spock meets with Pike in his quarters. They talk about the existential crisis Pike is in. We see the close and the respectful relationship they have, which will come to fruition in an original series episode. Pike shares what he's been, you know, just 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 thinking about and what's been hanging on him. How will it live in me? Will it make me hesitant? Cautious? Not cautious enough? Spock encourages him to seek out the good in knowing what he knows and use it to help him be who he is truly meant to be. The captain. Now, first contact with a planet or a species is meant to happen when they've achieved warp drive. The Federation believes at that point, they're at a place technologically and likely as a society to enter the galactic stage. Una and her small crew were making first contact with the people of Kylie 279 because they detected a warp signature there. It's a pretty standard practice. But when the Enterprise gets there... These people aren't showing any signs of local space colonization. Which puts them a century behind constructing warp drives. Yet they have a warp signature. A nascent one. Uh-oh. This is supported when the planet detects them and launches just old-school, ancient missiles at them. Spock analyzes the warp signature from the planet. Based on these readings, they've built a warp bomb. Ooh, we're going from bad to worse fast. Kylie 279 is at war with itself, and it is bad. Protests carried on through the night and into the morning at federal sites around our nation. Spock shares that while this is the first time a species has developed warp technology as a weapon before propulsion, it's not impossible. But the rest of their tech, everything else, is equivalent to 21st century Earth. So they're going to invoke General Order 1, which we now know as the Prime Directive. It's non-interference, basically. So to mount a rescue, they talk to Dr. Mabenga, the chief medical officer, and Nurse Chapel, 
Chapel is on a civilian exchange and is prepared to genetically alter the away team to look like the people on the planet. Because of Spock being half human and half Vulcan, she's not super confident the disguise will last as long as it will for Pike and La'an. They beam down and locate the facility the warp bomb is in and where Una and her team are likely being held. There's a tense moment as Spock's disguise begins to fail, but some creative transporter magic and they all get through security okay. Aside from the alien appearance of the people, this looks like Earth today, in 2022, maybe 23. Very, very familiar vibe. Once through security, they have free reign of the facility. They get down to where Una and her team are being held, but Spock's disguise is becoming more and more unstable. They free the team, and it turns out La'an and Una, yeah, they go way back. Wait, you two know each other. Probably would have been nice if Pike knew that. Well, on the way out, Una, number one, explains what happens. Now, I'm going to dance around some details here because at the time of this recording, we haven't finished the second season of Discovery on the podcast yet. But this scenario is the direct result of what happened in that season finale. Discovery did some stuff, and all that happened within just one light year of Kylie 279. So they picked the whole thing up with their telescopes. Between Kelpian and Klingon ships, there must have been a hundred warp signs. We lit up the sky. From that, they were able to reverse engineer their way to warp. Pike feels the weight of responsibility just as they get to a point the Enterprise can beam them out. If we leave now, every death that follows is on our hands. So he sends everyone back, except for him and Mr. Spock. They get captured on their escape just as Spock's disguise fully fails. So Pike says the only thing he can think of. Take me to your leader. And they do exactly that. We meet an almost Hunger Games style president. Pike tries to explain their mistake, but the president is not hearing him. This is our opportunity to end that conflict. Through mass murder? And she responds in basically the worst way possible. Whoever has the biggest stick wins. So Pike obliges. He calls the Enterprise into low orbit, basically showing that he's the one with the biggest stick. This brings the leaders of the warring factions together to talk. A reporter says it's the first time in a century that they've even been in the same room with each other. Pike and Spock return to Enterprise to determine next steps. In that discussion, we learn more about La'an and what will be a recurring theme in this season. Her family were abducted by the Gorn, which is a very scary alien species, and left on a breeding planet for them, being used for food or for breeding sacks. Yeah, sounds great. She was able to escape as a young child and was eventually picked up by Una. She's the reason I joined Starfleet. Pike makes the decision to address the leaders down on the planet. They are facing each other, arguing, and he beams in right between them, interrupting in the unassuming way that we are coming to expect from him. Hi, sorry to interrupt. He launches into an impassioned speech, sharing the part of Earth's history that coincides with this society now. He says he's showing them their future so they can make the choice to act differently. Our conflict also started with a fight for freedoms. We called it the Second Civil War, then the Eugenics War, and finally, just World War III. He then offers for them to join the Federation, which 
honestly is pretty weird given what we learn, especially in TNG, about what all that takes, right? The bureaucracy and what that society needs to do. But still, still, this is a powerful moment. We get a short montage of people studying science and looking at Starfleet ships, you know, cool stuff like that, apparently becoming part of the greater, greater community. Apparently, Pike changed their minds and he's helped them avert their crisis. Back on Starbase One, we find out though, that there was a price to pay for this. Getting the Federation High Court not to throw you all in jail almost took more pull than I have. And I have a lot of pull. Admiral Robert April says the council is doubling down on General Order One, renaming it, yep, here we go, calling it the Prime Directive. Pike agrees to stay on board the Enterprise, wrapping up the personal journey at the beginning of the episode. And while we're wrapping stuff up, remember back when I said Pike requested Kirk to be on the ship? Well, he shows up. Chris, I mean, Captain. Samuel Kirk. Oh, thank goodness it's not Jim, it's his brother. And it's kind of cool callback, or call forward, I guess. You see, we first met Sam Kirk in the original series episode, Operation Annihilate. That's the one with the plastic toy vomit things that flew through the air and stuck to people's backs. Well, in classic Star Trek fashion, Pike speaks to the assembled crew before heading out on their great mission of exploration. Let's take her out, Lieutenant Ortegas. Warp factor two. Arguably a favorite, if not the favorite, of the Star Trek coming out now while I record this. Strange New Worlds, for many, is the series that many of us had been waiting for ever since Discovery was first announced back in 2015. And in a recurring theme through Star Trek's history, it exists because the fans demanded it. This was an exciting introduction to a new series and crew, and possibly, maybe, the most visually stunning first episode of the franchise to date. It's not without its controversy, though, even among those that see it as a welcome return to the form of, of TOS and TNG. Come to Quark's Crisis Run. Come right now. Go Quark. Run! In the 30th episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, Discovery, Choose Your Pain, I talked about the incredible performance review that Saru set up for himself. Now, there's a tool that enables you to do the same thing for yourself and your teams. For your free copy of this tool, visit starfleetleadership.academy and join the mailing list. You'll not only get a free copy of this incredible tool, but you'll also hear about other cool things going on with the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Visit starfleetleadership.academy today and get your free copy. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. The first season of Discovery ends with us seeing the USS Enterprise. It was pretty exciting when it happened. And the second season kicks off with Captain Pike of the Enterprise coming on board to take temporary command of Discovery. This was, in my opinion, a bit of fan service that lined up the Michael Burnham and Spot connections and it let us see Pike in action. But wow, they were awesome. Anson Mount as Pike and Ethan Peck as Spock garnered so much support from the fan base, Paramount basically had no choice but to spin a series off for them. But wow. What a huge challenge. 
One of the things early Discovery had working against it was that its timeline butts up against the established stories in the original series. Now, at the end of the second season, they trekno babbled their way out of that conundrum, but it was a real thing. Strange New Worlds takes that issue, though, and ramps it up to 11. These go to 11. Now, we're even closer to the original series timeline, and we're on the same starship working with established characters. I mean, Spock and Uhura are main characters in both series. And as if those weren't strong enough handcuffs, add in the established stories of Pike. Up until Discovery, and not counting the Kelvinverse movies, we've seen this dude two times. Once in the cage, the original pilot for Star Trek, and again in the menagerie. Which was basically a repackaging of the cage. So for them to squeeze this series into a super tight set of restrictions is either super brave or super dumb. Time will tell which. Either way, this series is another triumph of the fandom. Back in late 67, maybe early 68, NBC decided to cancel Star Trek after its second season. Let me take a moment and explain what a huge deal that would have been. Back then, in order to crack into the money printing machine that is syndication, you needed at least three seasons worth of episodes. Now, Star Trek without syndication is nothing. It became huge in syndication. I mean, I'm talking right now at this second and you, you're listening to me because there were three seasons of the original series. But if they were going to cancel it, how did it get that third season? Be Joe Trimble. That's how. She helped lead a letter-writing campaign that convinced NBC to renew the show for its third season. And she did this in a day and an age where there was no internet. Like this was phone calls and actual pieces of paper mail that made this happen. Another similar example of this was Star Trek Enterprise. As I discussed in the 63rd episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, Enterprise, the Zindi, the show was in trouble. In fact, it was going to get canceled at the end of its third season. Fans marched once again. Another letter writing campaign granted it a fourth season. And that's kind of what happened here. We got Pike, Spock, and number one in Discovery and basically demanded more from them. And Paramount listened. This series is the direct result of fans making it so. Now, the episode itself. I feel like this did a decent job of transitioning us from Discovery Pike to Strange New Worlds Pike and creating the world we'll live in here. We met a bunch of the characters, but not all. And in what feels like a breath of fresh air, it is clearly a single episode with its own story to tell. And it picked a pretty controversial one. I mean, basically holding up a mirror to a post-2020 American society and telling us that if we don't change our ways, we'll kick off a civil war that'll lead to World War III. And as if that weren't on the nose enough, it even used footage from the January 6th insurrection to show the beginning of America's second civil war. Wow. Not pulling any punches at all. As much of an echo of classic Trek this series appears to be, it is tackling the heavy issues just like the other modern Trek series are. I think I like almost every new character. I'm excited to learn more about Uhura and how she became who we've come to know. 
Dr. Mabenga seems awesome. And we actually got to meet him in the 35th episode of the podcast, TOS's A Private Little War. But I got to be honest, I'm not too high on La'an so far. There's a character type that I just don't get into. And that's the one that has experienced so much pain that pain just means nothing to them now. Ooh, look how macho I am and how tough I am. I mean, no sedatives. Really? This took minutes out of the episode, and all it did was make me not like her. It's like when dude from the Steven Seagal classic Under Siege 2 sprayed pepper spray in his mouth just to intimidate people. Not on me, sweetheart. Pepper spray. Ugh. I'm all in for this series, though. I'm excited to finally get to watch it as part of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, and I'm looking forward to watching the rest with you. Command codes verified. When I watched this episode to prep to record, my first thought was, huh, I'll just play literally everything Pike says because he's perfect. I mean, watching him in action in this episode is like watching Neil Peart perform Der Tromler. A master of their craft at their peak. But for this episode, I think we can group his excellence together into two categories. He understands teamwork and how to get the most out of a team. And he implicitly trusts that team and through that is able to be truly authentic in a way that puts everyone at ease and ensures they feel like they belong. I'm gonna share how he does these things and how you can do the same. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. When Pike first meets the president, who has accepted violence as just the way things work, he drops a piece of wisdom on us that I couldn't leave alone. Negotiation. Debate. These are the tools to build a lasting peace. In a theme I'll talk about more here shortly, Pike is telling us that it's not about being right. It's about finding the most right solution. In a more traditional command and control style workplace, bosses tell people what to do and punish them when they don't do it or don't do it well enough. What is wrong with you? Why did you have to phrase it like that? In a more modern trust, coach, and inspire environment, you negotiate, you debate, ultimately you listen. It's not tell and do. It's discuss and hear. Pike presents this as a means for peace. I present this as a way to be an effective leader. You have the end goal in mind, but engage your team on the best way to get there. It's not up to you to decide how they do a thing. In fact, you should be asking them before you even start imagining how it could be done. You have the end goal in mind, but engage your team on the best way to get there. It's not up to you to decide how they do a thing. In fact, you should be asking them before you even start imagining how it could be done. Bring the team together, facilitate the discussion, negotiate with them and help them negotiate with each other. You will end up with processes and decisions that they like, support and own, and that are more effective than anything you could think of on your own. You may not be able to broker world peace on your own, but you can follow Pike's advice to bring ownership, satisfaction, and harmony to your teams. What makes this guy exude leadership the way he does? 
An easy answer would be confidence. But confidence unchecked turns into arrogance. And that's not what I saw in Pike. Maybe, maybe it's that he's cool and informal. This might be closer, but we see some of that with Archer in Enterprise 2, and he comes across as a total bro. Mostly because he's only cool to a couple of people. He's got his inner circle. Pike, though, Pike is cool to everyone. I think this is the thing. Pike is comfortable with who he is and in his skills and abilities. He's authentic. Now, that's something we hear a lot these days, right? Be authentic. But what does it really mean? It's honestly, it's honestly very simple. Like, just be you. Don't be the character in the onboarding video for your company or pretend to be some type of person you're not. Just, just be you. And that's what Pike does. The Pike we see making pancakes, making pancakes, making bacon pancakes, is the same Pike we see addressing the assembly down on the planet. The guy who says, This is your captain. We're a little early out of the gate, so I hope we didn't catch anybody with your hair wet or your pants down. Is the same guy that holds up Earth's apocalypse as a cautionary tale. So let's break this down. This is more than Pike just being informal and loose. It's what's behind that that makes it work, as well as how he uses it. Behind his approachable style is confidence, for sure. He knows his job and knows that he's good at it. He isn't seeking validation of his abilities. And coupled with that is that he knows that he has earned his position. He doesn't feel threatened and isn't always trying to prove himself to others. Notice the theme here. The difference between a calm, cool approach like Pike's and a toxic bro attitude like Archer's is the need for external validation. For someone else to know that you did a good job or for someone else to confirm that you're in the right role. Pike's validation comes from within. This goes back to the 59th episode of the podcast, DS9's The House of Quark, where I talked about the concept of be, do, have. Pike focuses on the be, what and who he is, where someone like Archer focuses on the do, what actions he can be observed doing. One depends on others, the other depends on yourself. Your purpose comes from the outside. Ours comes from within. And to be very plain about it, you should always rely on yourself. What you get when that happens is Captain Christopher Pike. Now I know, I know I'm bagging on Archer pretty hard here, and if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, you should know that so far I am not a fan of his leadership. But if you think I'm wrong, right? If you want to engage, let's do this. Let me know. I'm on Twitter at SFLA podcast. One of the big observable behaviors of Pikes that proves this is the fact that he does not care what a person's job or rank is. He's cool to them regardless. Just don't lose my socks, Mr. Kyle. Kyle's just the transporter guy, and he's making sure he knows that his job matters and that he, Captain Pike, knows who he is. That is huge. That is what inclusion looks like. When you create an environment where people feel included, like Pike has, they're more likely to share their ideas and really perform to their potential. Think about it. How hard are you going to work when the boss is being cool to other people, but just treating you like the rank and file? Compare that to Pike treating everyone on the ship as equals 
and making them feel like their work matters. Yeah, you're going to work a lot harder in the Pike environment. But the other side to that, beyond him just being cool, is that he implicitly trusts his team to do their best and to offer their best ideas. This stems from his internal confidence in his abilities and in his role. He's not threatened by other people's ideas. In fact, he's so wide open to them because he knows that they know their jobs and he trusts that they're bringing their A-game. We see this in action when they first get to the planet. Recommend we go to Red Alert. Red Alert, Mizuhara. He hears them out and does not hesitate. You say we need to do a thing? Boom, we do the thing. I've worked with too many people in leadership positions that feel like they have to be the ones with the ideas, that they have to be right and one step ahead. They feel that way because they are validated externally by people seeing them knowing the answers. For someone like Pike that is validated internally, he just wants the best possible outcome and knows that he's working with smart and capable people. He gets his satisfaction by accomplishing the mission, keeping everyone safe, and, I'm assuming, building the confidence and skill sets of the people he works with. Now, that need to be right that a lot of leaders have, that might be one of the most limiting approaches and mindsets that I can think of. I've shared before that I've managed in a union shop before. If you've never managed in this environment, just know that there's, well, put simply, like there's another rule book you have to play by. You've got your company's policies, you've got all the legal stuff that you normally have to do, but you also have requirements that are spelled out in a collective bargaining agreement. Some of those requirements are almost always how discipline is handled. In this shop I supervised in, I don't know, about 15 years ago at the time of this recording, management's interpretation of the collective bargaining agreement moved us away from the intent of any discipline, which should always be to teach and to improve, to a check-the-box mentality of just making sure we said the things that we needed to say. Ideally, if someone wasn't performing well, you'd talk to them, show them where they needed to improve, and work together to come up with a plan to do better, an interactive, collaborative endeavor. But that's not what we did. Nope. We would write a rather formal letter tell the person they were blowing it, and then force them to sign the letter. That letter didn't say, that signature didn't say they understood or agreed or anything like that. No, it just said that we told them these things and that we physically gave them a copy of the letter. This approach was built for the arbitration or the lawsuit when we fired them so we could show, hey, look, we told them what they had to do and what would happen if they didn't do it. That approach and mindset is total top-down, command and control. I'm right, you are wrong kind of thinking. Organizations that behave that way do not care about performance or the people that work there. Like I said, poor performance or other mistakes should be talked about collaboratively. In this episode, Laon has some secrets and they affect the mission. She had a previous relationship with Una and trauma around her childhood when she and her family were held by the Gorn. Near the end of the episode, she finally does the right thing and brings it to Pike. Now, she should have shared all this from Go. It would have had an impact on the mission. Pike likely would not have taken her down on the away mission, for example. But she does come forward with it eventually. Had Pike worked for the people I worked with back 15 years ago, he would have ripped into her 
told her what she did wrong, and followed it up with a sternly worded letter. Instead, because he actually wants people to improve and wants the best for everyone he works with, it goes down like this. I should have told you, sir. Tell me now. Wow. How amazing is this? Instead of insisting on being right and flexing his authority. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. He just creates space for her to be heard. That doesn't mean that she gets a free pass, right? Like, I think a lot of leaders are hesitant to do this because they think it's just letting people behave however they want to. But he still lays down how he expects her to communicate moving forward. And he's demonstrated that it's okay to bring things to him. In fact, I, I guess this does kind of actually offer a free pass. A free pass to come to Pike with her mistakes and for advice instead of actively trying to hide things from him. It actually seems like a pretty great deal and a free pass that we would all appreciate having. When he's talking about how things need to be moving forward, he also lays out the overriding philosophy of effective teamwork. It's more to serving Starfleet than just individual excellence. Our ability to work together, that's our greatest strength. Again, we come back to external versus internal motivation and validation. La'an is driven to be a top performer, and partially because of that, she overlooks the needs of the team. It's this mindset that drives her to skip the painkillers when Nurse Chapel makes them look like aliens. Look how tough I am! Instead of focusing on the mission and the needs of the team. What Pike knows is that developing each individual to be their best and then focusing them on the team and the team's goals is what makes an organization great. Like, it doesn't matter how tough or smart or good someone like Laon is if she's not working to make the team win. It's a complete situation of everyone wins or no one wins. And Pike's role, the leader's role, is ensuring everyone is ready to help make the entire team win. When I started this section, I said Pike really did two things. He built strong teams, and he led in a way that made people feel included and trusted. But now that we've talked through this, I think what he really does is shift people's need for external validation to an intrinsic internal validation. And not just individually, but for the whole team. Each person is internally validated with a focus provided by the leader to the team, which is internally validated for the great work it does. When you can build a team like this, like Pike has, your team will perform at the level we see the Enterprise operate at in this episode. No drive for individual recognition, but a welcoming, trusting, and inclusive environment where the team is confident in its abilities. They know that it's in the right role and operates at galaxy-class levels. I want to personally invite you to join the Starfleet Leadership Academy mailing list. The link is in the show notes, or you can visit starfleetleadership.academy to join. I send an email every other week that includes more info from the episode and other news about me and the podcast. Often, I'll provide a deeper dive into some of the concepts I introduce here in the show. Don't miss out on the added info and cool things I share. Click the link in the show notes or visit starfleetleadership.academy to join today. And you'll get a cool thing I put together based on Saru's leadership assessment he did on himself in the Discovery episode, Choose Your Pain. And I'd love 
to connect with you on Twitter or Mastodon at SFLA Podcast or on all of the other social media, most all of it, at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in 279 A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. The 23rd episode of the second season of Deep Space Nine, Crossover. This is DS9's first foray into the Mirror Universe and the second time the franchise has ventured there. This one is a lot of fun. The Mirror Universe was introduced in the original series and was then just kind of left there. This is almost a hundred years later and we get to see the lasting effects of that encounter. I can't wait to watch it with you. But until then, ex astra scientia. I have a question for you. What is one thing that separates truly great leaders from the rest? Like, what are they doing that you aren't? The answer? Effective leadership coaching. But here's the thing. It's really hard to find a coach that you will work well with, that you'll get along with, that will that will understand your needs. And that's where the Starfleet Leadership Academy comes in. That's right. If you're a leader or even an aspiring leader that wants to develop and build your skills so you can benefit your teams and you want to do that in a fun and engaging way, reach out today. Visit starfleetleadership.academy slash contact to schedule a time with me, Jeff Aiken, and find out if coaching from me personally is right for you. That's starfleetleadership.academy slash contact. Thanks. Live, lead, and prosper. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, and the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric acid.